All right. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not, and because of the crowd... So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, and he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. As we go to the Lord in prayer, there are obviously a number of uh, some requests. I'm sure there are others. as we uh, remember to pray for the the men who are still at man camp, many of which, thanks to uh, Kevin and the others who are able to, we have like six or seven on our worship team that are there. And uh, thanks, Kevin, for coming back for that uh, today. But as they're getting their last time, not only together, but for the last time uh, of instruction and teaching there, that God would work um, in a mighty way. And, and they're doing good. Uh, for the families, wives and families that are here, I think I should probably say they're not doing great without you, right? <laughs> they're they're doing good, but I don't want to tell you. I don't want to tell you they're doing too good. So I'm just just throwing that out there. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning, and you are here. You desire to meet us. You desire in your presence for us to be changed. And so I pray that you show us what that is, whether it's in an action or an attitude, whether it's in something directly for us or something that we need to share with someone else. We pray for the many men, uh, probably one of the biggest groups there, and we just pray for the many men from our church here that are there together, that you would bind their hearts together as one, Uh, beyond this time to be able to minister one to another. We pray as well that you just be upon the speaker and all that is being said, that hearts would be open and uh, would change and be transformed. Lord, we uh, thank you that for the testimonies and how you've worked in different lives. Uh, Lord, we recognize there are some that need your uh, continued help even right now. We think of Carol Schreffler who's been in the hospital and I thank you that she's been getting better, but we pray you continue to work your healing in her completely and fully and that she'd be able to get out soon. The same way for Brenda Liebman and the need that she has in her life physically in the hospital. Lord, we just pray for both these ladies, your peace like a river would come and flow upon them. And Lord, Shelby... Uh, needs Shelby Knox needs your peace, uh, especially today, especially this this week. Not only in the passing of her brother, but as many of us have received the prayer requests uh, for um, 
her mother's health condition has come up right at this time for a brother who fell and was in ICU as well and just uh, so many things happening. Uh, Lord, uh, just that you would be upon that family, you would be upon Shelby lifting her up and helping her through uh, this time while she's uh, away from this area. Uh, Lord, for others that are upon our hearts and minds right now, even as we start to pray that, we can think of others. And just even now, uh, just in this moment, we lift them to you. In our own hearts, and our own minds, each of us here today. We just speak their name. I ask that you would hold them in the palm of your hand. And more than that, that your hand would be on top blessing. And that your hand would surround protection Lord thank you give us your heart and your love for the people that you so love the world that you gave your one and only son for thank you for what you're going to do even in us this morning in Jesus name Amen Uh, long ago, I don't know that they still do that now, uh, for some of the kids who are here, but long ago, in an elementary playground, during recess, the dreaded ritual took place, and that was picking teams for kickball, or basketball, or whatever it might be. Everybody, now I don't know what happened, but in my days, everybody would line up. And somehow there was two captains that were picked. I don't know who picked them, but you know, two captains stepped up, and everybody would line up, and you pick out one him, and usually they pick their friends first, right? And I picked the friends, even even some friends that really weren't that great at kickball, but you're my friend, so come on, right? It, it wasn't all about that. And then you know you were picking kind of the ones that you think could help uh, win, and then there was just a few left. In fact, sometimes there was just two left. And that was the worst kid in the history of kickball who had no skills and no coordination. But then he was the worst player. But there was another one often beside, and that was the worst person in your grade. Now, you know, the bull, for example, maybe the bully, although he was good at Red Rover, Red Rover, because nobody was going to get in his way. But when it came to having a, a, a team and working kickball or whatever, you didn't want this bully, this worst person to be a part of because it just messed up the team because all they did was just fight and everybody was afraid and nobody got around them and your own team and it wasn't worth it. So it came down to do you pick the worst player or do you pick the worst person? And a lot of times you pick the worst player because you can stick them someplace where they're not going to hurt anybody or your team. Not that worst person. I mean, that's just the way, the way we saw it. At least if you had any guts, you didn't pick that worst person, you know, and you had a desire to win. You didn't pick them. Well, here in James, in Luke chapter 19, there's a whole crowd that is lined up, and here's this captain, Jesus, who is picking. 
And his first pick, not the last pick, his first pick in this crowd is the worst person there, Zacchaeus. I'm coming to your house today. We see this in verse 5. Where Jesus says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. And he came down at once and welcomed him there. And all the people who saw this began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. He says that and the people react. Last Sunday, we, we began looking at this and explained how Zacchaeus as a tax collector in that day would have been seen as the bad, evil, horrible person, that especially as the chief tax collector, he was probably the worst person in that crowd. And yet Jesus says, I pick you. People are like, what? How? Why? Why would Jesus pick the worst one there, the worst person ever? Well, we're going to look at a number of reasons. That even still today, God looks and sees the worst, but wants to do the best in them. We've got to recognize this. And, and, and some of us have had difficulty seeing through God's eyes of love, especially among those people that we consider the worst. Today, the message really is to look for the God's best in the worst. To look for God's best in the worst as we're leading through. And if you haven't been with us, part of the, what's on the screen there is our theme for the year. And that is to see the world through God's eyes. That's just getting God's 2020 vision. And see the world through God's eyes, recognizing that we need to look for God's best in the worst. Uh, what does that mean? How do we do that? We're going to explore three different ways to do that. And the first is to look for God's best in the worst by seeing what God is doing. The first is to look for God's best and the worst by seeing what God is doing. All right, Zacchaeus wanted to see God. Here, let's see what he's doing. Look at verse 3. It says of Zacchaeus, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So here's the thing. There was already something God was doing. This was not just some simple curiosity on Zacchaeus' part. If it was, he wouldn't have gone to the length that he did because he was acting out of character for someone like him. No one saw him for some reason. No one was able to see what God was doing because no one was able to see even what Zacchaeus was doing. Zacchaeus was doing in plain sight because here it was it says he ran to that tree ran like a little boy he ran you don't really do that in that day especially as a man and especially as a rich and powerful man that is not something you would be seen doing somebody else does the running for you right unless of course some, something's chasing him and then everybody should be running but other than that it just it just didn't happen What's also interesting, it says that he went into a, and when we sing the song, is up in a sycamore tree. Technically, it was probably not just a sycamore tree because there were figs on the sycamore. When was the last time you saw a sycamore tree with figs on it? So it wasn't just, it's kind of like a 
sycamore fig or a mulberry fig or some kind of thing. In that day and age, in that tree, it was... uh, I'm trying to think how to... It would qualify as one of the most worthless figs. Like, it wasn't something they would sell. It wasn't something... It just... They would grow, and most people didn't want them, except for poor people. For poor people who could just get them, and they had no other... You know, that was kind of the food. That was what they could get. That was like this little bonus. They were worthless figs. And yet, those who had nothing ate these figs. So think about this. This powerful, wealthy man just climbed the poor people's tree. And we're not seeing that there's something going on here. There's something they were so surprised that Jesus picked them, they didn't see it. They, they were not seeing what God was doing. You know, even if he was a little shorter, when you think about all this, again, what were the odds that this powerful rich man would climb a tree like a little kid? Well, he was short, he needed to see. Can you think of other ways that you could see if you were powerful and rich? Between... Spread it out. I get this place right here. Just clear the road. Or you have somebody bring something up that you stand on or you stand on them. He climbed up. He, he Like a little kid, he climbed up the tree looking for Jesus. It, it, it's possible. When we think about there were other people in that tree. But for someone like him, it was undignified. God was doing something. God was doing a work in Zacchaeus. As he was humbling himself before Jesus. As we read in verse 5 to 6, Jesus reached that spot. He said, come down immediately. And what what happened in verse 6? He came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. He obeyed what Jesus said. This rich and powerful man was told to do something and popped right down. Happy to do it, whatever you want. I am here, enthusiastically obeyed. He he hurriedly came down rejoicing, ready. And yet, people didn't see what God was doing. And so they were more concerned about how they saw Zacchaeus. What should have been obvious, they completely missed Because they'd already judged him. They'd already written him off. Because of not just who he was and what he did, but perhaps because some of them had been affected by him. Perhaps he wasn't just the worst person in town. Perhaps he was the worst person in their life that had caused caused them grief. And they did not, because of the way their attitude was towards them, they did not look through God's eyes of love. Do we see what God sees? You know, that, isn't that the song? Do we see what God sees? Oh, no, that's not the one. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so he says, no, we can't see what God sees. God sees the heart, and only God looks on the heart. We can't see that. You know, that's true. And we've talked about that a couple weeks ago. 
But nonetheless, as hard as somebody can be on the outside, and at many times we really can't see inside that there are cracks starting in their heart of stone, there are some things we can see on the outside. We can look for God's best. Those people did not want to look for the best, not just in Zacchaeus. They didn't even look for God's best as it dealt with Zacchaeus. They didn't want to look to see what God was doing, even in the worst person, to see how God is working from the inside out. There was, always some, there was already some kind of thirst that was happening in Zacchaeus. Nobody else saw it. Jesus saw it. They should have been able to see it if they'd actually bothered to look, to see his heart by his actions and his openness. This whole scene that Zacchaeus and what he did is almost childlike, which if you remember and you think about it, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus, do you see what God sees? No. Often we see what we want to see. We don't even look at them as a person that God loves because we've already passed sentence and condemned them. And I I can recall uh, long ago an older Christian couple at a church that I pastored for many years, uh, uh, many years ago. I pastor this church, and, and this older couple was invited to a, uh, like a cookout at one of the board members' homes. It was a nice time, nice day, nice food. Everything was really going well. And, and it just so happened as we were out there in, that ba- in the backyard of this board member's house that his neighbor walked over, came over, and, and, and joined in, you know, so to speak, came over and, and said hi. And actually, he sat down even, and talk with some of the people. But this drove that older couple crazy. I don't know, crazy is the word. They, they were just incensed. They were mad. And they left. They left early. I mean, they didn't go screaming or anything like that, but they just kind of left suddenly. Didn't say anything. Not then. They always say something later, right? And you're probably thinking, what? Why, why did they? I don't, I don't know where you're going with this. Well, there is a little detail I didn't share. You see, uh, this neighbor who walked over to the backyard where all of us were, he walked over with a beer in his hand and he sat down and sometimes his language was a little colorful. Even though I really believe he was trying. He had no idea that there was color in what he was saying, if you know what I mean. He, he, he just, he, he knew he was in the presence, of, I mean, he'd heard he was in the presence of church people, so he was trying to control himself. And maybe he had best behavior. But to this couple, he was the worst. And he didn't belong there. But that really wasn't what really upset, I mean, that definitely upset him, but what really upset him is, is and what ticked them off enough to say, well, I don't know if we're going to come to this church, was that this board member did not tell this drunk guy, who, by the way, was not even close to being drunk, that, they, that this board member did not tell this guy to get off his property with his beer and clean up his act if he wants to come back. Instead, the board member was nice to him, almost like a friend. Oh, right? 
All they could see was the man, what he was holding in his hand, his unsanctified talk. They'd already made the judgment about him in their minds without ever considering his heart, without ever seeing what God was doing. Not just to look and to see, as we say, to see the world through God's eyes, but to see what God was doing right then and there. Think about it. An unsaved, unchurched neighbor felt comfortable enough in his relationship with this Christian board member to just walk over to his backyard and to start talking with him and even to feel comfortable enough knowing that this was a kind of a church people thing to feel comfortable enough to actually mingle in in some way. He felt cared enough about to be himself and to come over like a friend. Versus his couple who I don't think knew their neighbors. They didn't want to associate with those who were close to them in any way, shape, or form because they were not Christians. And technically speaking, their neighbors were not Christians in the way they would like to call them Christians. I mean, there was this definite definition of what kind of Christians. And yet Jesus himself was accused of being a friend of sinners. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. On a number of occasions we read where Jesus hung out eating with sinners. Now, the tax collectors here in Luke chapter 15. And sinners were gathering, all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And you know what the really ironic thing about this couple, that I, this older couple I was talking about, is that this woman, the, the wife, had come to church for decades, not just the one we were at, but gone to church for decades without her husband who was hardened towards the whole thing, to the whole Christian stuff. And just six months before this backyard incident, just six months before this backyard incident, he had been wonderfully saved during a major crisis in his life where he was about to commit a horrible sin that would have sent him to jail for the rest of his life. Something that would have been picked up not only by our local news, but by other news. And people would have seen him as one of the worst people. How could he do that? I happened to be there at that house that day. At their place. Actually, they called me. Just as he was ready to head out the door to do this. But he gave up those plans. He not only repented of that, but in all things. He turned his life around and he surrendered right there on his knees to Christ. Being forgiven for not only what was happening right then, but everything of his past. And he was saved in a real and amazing grace kind of way that you really noticed, that you knew. Kind of like a Zacchaeus kind of thing here. I I don't know if you're catching the sad irony of all of this. Is that here was this couple, probably mostly led by this wife who had been his Christian example for all those years who had Jesus in love look at him as he was about to do that with eyes of love and noticed his brokenness since Jesus was still broken for him. 
And he had experienced that. But that this man, this this couple, the, the, the husband, what he was about to do and what he had done was far beyond anything that neighbor had ever done. But they reacted like the crowd who couldn't believe that Jesus would go to a sinner's house. That allow sinners to their house. That Jesus... I mean, think about it. Jesus, that's what it says Jesus did. He ate with, can you imagine in an informal setting and just eating together with, with quote, sinners as they saw them, that everything, everybody was perfect? You know, there's no words that shouldn't have been said at that party. There was nothing they did when they were with Jesus that wasn't quite just a little bit not kosher, literally. Do we see what God sees? And probably the first place to answer that question is by looking in the mirror. Just like we talked about last week, to look more closely. The one who's looking back at us in that mirror and to see our own brokenness. And that Jesus was broken for that. To recognize the grace, the mercy, and the love that's been poured out that Jesus has given to us. First John chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We who have so richly received His grace need to allow it to pour out of us to others. To look for God's best, even amongst the worst, around us do we see what god sees and so often the answer is no because we do not want to that person is just too bad that they are the worst now that is often not the whole truth that they are the worst it's the way they make us feel we're just so upset about them yes they're the worst but sometimes it's only true to that person, to you. Others around don't think of them that way. I mean, he's not a great person, but I wouldn't call him the worst. It's more oftentimes our judgment on somebody has more to do with our own personal tastes and preferences or views. But something that we don't like, something that bugs us, irritates us, inconveniences us, invades our own little world here, or is just different from the way we think, or the way what things that we would say, different than, than our way, which is the only right way, right? And, and some even would, of course, even take it further as saying, my way is God's way. And, you know, sometimes that might be true, but so many times I hear it. And there is, that is not even dealing with anything that is black and white in the word of God. That they're having a problem with this person who's become the worst. There are things that God himself has not spoken about. But they've already judged and that person's the worst. Oh, I'm sure it's probably on the list of Churchy entities, do's and don'ts, but, you know, you know. It's amazing how petty and self-centered, how selfish, how self-righteous Christians can be considering how great a love that we have received. 
even if the thing that this person is doing or saying is in the absolutes of the Word of God, it does not give us a free pass to look at them through eyes other than love. The love of Jesus that was broken on a cross for their brokenness. For what they broke in the absolutes. It's possible that God is already doing something in them, but are we actually seeing like what was going on with Zacchaeus, that he, God was doing something. Zacchaeus was, was moving towards Jesus, but because of the way we are thinking, the way we're looking in our human eyes, we are not seeing what's going on. We need to join God, not join the enemy that wants to keep them on his side. We need to look for God's best in the worst by seeing what God is doing. But next, we need to look for God's best and the worst by seeing what God can do. What God can do. You know, people couldn't see that Zach had made that move or that God was doing any kind of work. And, and, and the thing was that they just saw Zacchaeus as they wanted to. And yes, he painted a pretty bad picture. Don't, understand, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying... You know, Zach was really a good guy. No, he wasn't. But they didn't want anything to do with him. They'd already made a judgment, already pronounced the sentence. Here is somebody that there's just nothing God can do with that person. There's just no hope for them. Have you ever heard people say that about others? I have. There's just no hope. There's nothing God can do. Even God can do with them. You know what? God specializes in hopeless cases. And there are plenty of examples to show what God can do. We start saying that about somebody, but there are plenty of examples to see what God can do. And and, and what is ironic is they would have just looked. You know, if they could have just seen but this, and eventually what God can do, Zacchaeus is an example, but there's a contrast in the context here between the rich young ruler, many of you may not have kind of put the, the two and two together, but if you look, uh, just turn back to Luke 18. You're in Luke 19. Look at Luke 18. In verse 18, it's the rich young ruler, really the story right before this. As it talks about the rich young ruler, a certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your mother and father. All these I have kept since I was a boy. He said, the rich young ruler said. And when Jesus heard this, he said, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Now, here's the thing. That crowd, those people in that time, we got two people who are rich. You got this rich young ruler, you got Zacchaeus. Guess who the people that Jesus was dealing with and the religious people of the time would have seen as the one who had potential? It was the good one. Why, he's following all the commands. He's doing, I mean, he, he, yeah, I mean he's, he's practically in. Some people probably put him in. I mean, he's, he's, he's good. That, that person's not, I mean, that, that, yeah, I believe God can work in that guy. 
I mean, think about all he said. Since he was little, he's been following the commands, doing what's right. Zacchaeus? I don't think he ever did what was right. And the contrast that exists there, that we believe God can work only in those who are good or, or at least have some potential good in them. But what happens? The one who is the rich young ruler walks away sad, away from Jesus. The other one who is the rich, worst person there, walks right up to Jesus. Zacchaeus showed the opposite, ready to follow Jesus joyfully. Here's the difference. The difference is not that one was good and one was bad. The difference is that one, Zacchaeus, saw himself as a sinner and the other guy did not. And the crowds could not see that. And I imagine you could argue that, you know, can anyone ever actually see that coming? Well, if we'd had God's eyes of love, we could, and they could have seen that coming. We look at people as somebody Jesus looks at. I mean, really ask yourself, do we, when we look at people, do we see them as somebody that Jesus would say, I'm going to your house today? And when we're talking about that, to understand not just in that sense of physical going to your house today there, but that Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes to that door, I will open. I will come in to their house. And we see what God can do that in anyone. Jesus said, That door today. It really shouldn't have been that hard to believe considering what God had already done in one of the disciples who was passing through with Jesus. Think about this. They had this attitude towards Zacchaeus because he was a tax collector, right? Who was one of the big disciples walking with Jesus through town? Matthew. He was a tax collector. Oh, no, Matthew. Matthew, Matthew's cool. You know, he's one of Jesus. He's one of Jesus' gang. You know, he's good. I mean, you know, Matthew, uh, he's he's all right. He's, He's good. You know what? There ain't nobody good. The Bible says that, but there also ain't nobody good that's a tax collector in those days. I've already seen what God can do in Matthew's life. Why is it hard to believe what God can do in Zacchaeus' life? You've already seen what God can do in your life or in other people's lives. You've heard testimonies. You've heard stories. Why do we find it hard to believe what God can do in this person that you think is the worst? Who we look at with eyes of love. Do we see not their best, but God's best, even in the worst? Or do we make up these categories, these these uh, degrees of badness? You know, there's there's a, a point where somebody just is so bad that it just can't. But if you get to this point, I don't know. And Jesus tells us, you are listening. I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. In Luke chapter 19, he was an example of what God can do. It was obvious that Zacchaeus' heart was changed by Jesus. That day, there was a confession, there was guilt, there was repentance, there was restitution. But it really was more than that. It wasn't really about that. What Zacchaeus' response here was some kind of rejoicing, surrender. As you look at verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. 
from this point on, whatever I get, half of it's going to the poor. He didn't have to do that. And then if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times for that. If I wronged anybody, by the way, in the original language, this whole if I wrong, we read it like, we could read it like, well, of course you wronged somebody. If? What are you talking about? If? It's kind of like, I don't know who. <laughs> I probably wrong a lot of people. If you're one of the ones, not there's no question in the way that it is worded in the original that he is admitting, yes, he has wronged people. It's just I'm not sure who it is. Just because it's been, he's that bad, I guess, in that sense. And he was willing from this time not just to give for, but he was willing to restore fourfold what he took. Now, we understand that wasn't required by the law. Stealing, in, there were certain circumstances of stealing. Exodus 22 talks about it. We're not going to look there. But if, if you did not confess it, if you did not admit it, and you had to get taken to court, and you were then convicted in court, and the thing that you stole was no longer around for you to give back, then it was fourfold. One in one particular case, fivefold. But in Zacchaeus' case, if we were trying to put in this kind of a different kind of thief type of thing, but in Zacchaeus' case, Numbers five and Leviticus six has application to his life. And what that says is is when you admit to that, and uh, what you have to pay back is add a fifth to it. In other words. What Zacchaeus, by the law, would have been required to do when he had taken things wrongly was pay back 120%. But he said, Lord, I'm going to pay back 400%. Because he wasn't about law, it was about love. It wasn't about what's the minimum that's required of me. It's about what's the maximum that I can do out of the gratefulness of my heart for what you have done for me. And so I'm going all out. Part of it recognizing the depth and the greatness of his own sin, but part of it recognizing the greatness of the grace that Jesus has shown him. I'm going to pay back 400%. He didn't have to. This was done not in any way to earn God's love, but rather he'd already received God's love through Jesus, the very core of his being. And that amazing grace was so real. It changed him. It is an amazing grace that it would be so real. It should change us. And if all this isn't enough to show the dramatic difference and change in Zacchaeus, in verse 9, we read this. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus himself rejoices that salvation had come to Zacchaeus. And even though everybody there thought of him as a, a traitor to their country and a sinner before their God, Jesus says, this is a son of Abraham. He is really one of you, one of us, so to speak, not just by his birth, but by being born again. A salvation that came to Zacchaeus, not just because Jesus said so, but because of the evidence of the new life and the new relationship that he had with God that resulted in a new attitude and new actions and a new joy that was just overflowing from Zacchaeus. That is what God can do. And seeing that. He's just one of the examples of those who God's best for the worst 
Think about Saul. We're, uh, I had, we're not going to get into it, but remember Saul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who called himself the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy 1? He was the worst. In so many ways of what he was doing to the church, he was one of the worst. And yet, we see God's best come out in that worst of Paul doing something more than anyone had done for Christ even before that. And there are plenty of other examples. To look for the best in the worst by seeing what God what God can do, but as well by seeing the third point, what God has done. What God has done. There are those in our life who are the worst. I'm not going to deny that. There are some that are just horrible horrible to you, negative, critical, cruel, abusive, making your life miserable. The kind of people that maybe even in their own life they're miserable and they like company. What do we do? How do we see them? Do we look at them through eyes of love or do we just close our eyes and we don't want to see them, we don't want to look at them, we don't want to have to deal with them? We're closing not just our eyes, but we're closing our minds, or we're closing our hearts But what we're forgetting is that God has already done something for them that we're closing our eyes to. Is that Jesus suffered and died out of a love for them. The best, the best of all, Jesus, took the place of the worst of all. The problem person for you is someone who we have been commanded to love. And yet we find it difficult, not just to love, to even look at them through those eyes of love. And we can sit stewing about, well, it's just not right. I know what you're saying, and I know it's in the Word, but it's not right. And, and, and there's really that sense that there's a part of us that just wants to stand up for our rights. And all this that's wrong. But Jesus laid down, not only His rights, but He laid down literally and took the nails in his feet and hands for them. Instead of making sure that people got the punishment they had coming, he, the innocent one, took their punishment. Jesus was broken for the broken person and just as he was broken for you and for me. Even as unjustly and as horrific as the cross was and what he was having to experience in the cross itself, there was that mob mocking him and laughing at him all around, the same ones who had just reached, just right before that cried out, crucify him. And not to mention that where were all those disciples, the ones who had followed him so closely and said, we will go anywhere with you. They were gone. In fact, one of them had actually betrayed him and sold him out. Another one denied him. And here he was on that cross with the worst situation and then seemingly the worst of people in the worst treatment and he said father forgive them to look and to see through god's eyes seeing that god has already done something for that worst person in our life and he wants to for others the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises 
as some understand slowness. He had said he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In 2 Peter 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. All people means the, even the worse. And even if Zacharias never changed, if even there was no sign of anything happening within him, he was still worthy of love. This is not that we start to look for some, at somebody through God's eyes of love when we start to see a little glimmer of hope that they're starting to change or they're starting to warm up to God. Because when Jesus did this, nobody was warmed up to him. There was no hope. There was no change. It says, while we were yet enemies... While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No matter who they are, despite their problems, despite them causing problems, we need to come with love. To see through eyes of love. Not because they've earned it in any shape or form, because that's not what love is about. It is a gift. Can we not see that Jesus was broken for them in the same way that he was broken for you and me? Can we not see that Jesus was a friend of sinners? Even the worst. Now, ultimately in this, let's understand, like everything else in the Christian life, this cannot be done in our own humanness, in our own flesh, in our own strength, our own willpower, this kind of seeing and love, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the miraculous working of God, helping us to do just that. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12 says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. You notice it says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. We're going to watch a video. Uh, again, it's a, uh, like a couple weeks ago with a, a video of a song that deals with this. And while this play and the worship team can come on up. But Father, just pray that you would complete your work in us and what you want us to do. Um, maybe it is something that's close to home. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just in general attitude towards certain kinds of people. Even in our day, politically, we're not seeing through eyes of love, let alone so many other things that people that are different. It's not about right and wrong. You do have that. You do judge that. But you want to work. You want all people to come to you. Help us to see that you, the friend of sinners, want us to show your love like you do. Let's see a video. Mm -hmm. 